0: And thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Community Connections Podcast. I'm your host, Cole Warner. And this episode is coming out in advance of National Healthcare Decisions Day, which is on April 16th. And we've kind of done an episode surrounding this topic each year around this date. And as you can probably see it's quite important to to hospices in general but specifically hospice of davidson county for reasons that we're going to get into today but my special guest on today she has been on with us i think once in the past we That's featured her yeah. yes yes I, I certifi- <laughs> we talked about her being a certified end of life doula and and all of that process and what that looks like for our patients but her sort of main role with us is a medical social worker over at our Hinkle Hospice House. So Crystal, welcome onto the podcast.
1: Thank you, Cole. Thanks for having me.
0: So I I imagine that, you know, and I probably thought this too, when, before I got into this specific part of healthcare, but we make a big deal about national healthcare decisions or healthcare decisions in general, because we know the impact that it has on our families. Patients and our community, and you might ask why it's so important. And I'll, I'll just set the table this way: there is empirical evidence, scientific research that talks about the benefits of having healthcare conversations and making decisions. Make you know they they very much range, and we're going to talk about that today. And talking about what that looks like, even though it probably feels like a very uncomfortable conversation. And we'll dive more into that today. But but just to set the stage, it, it is so much of a benefit to families who are willing to have this discussion at any point, right? Young right. or old, right? right. And, and so we want to do that today. So Crystal, when I say the word healthcare decisions, I guess that's a phrase. It's not a word. Healthcare decisions, the phrase, what does that mean to you?
1: Well, for me, just because of what I do and where I work, I immediately go to end of life, and I do want to make that clear to everyone up front that when you designate someone to be your healthcare power of attorney, you're you're giving someone permission to make healthcare decisions for you, but only in the event that you are no longer able. make decisions for yourself. So as long as you're conscious and you can make decisions, it's it's all up to the individual. This is strictly for an individual who is terminally ill and is now non-responsive and can no longer make decisions. Then they've left someone in place to do that.
0: Well clearly it's it's important to you, Crystal, because we just dove right into healthcare power of attorney and I appreciate <laughs> that. And that is one that, that we specifically deal with a lot. So I'm I'm great to start there. So yeah. when you designate that person, right? I we had um Dr. Rachel Warner on who talked about how difficult those discussions are when someone hasn't been designated and trying to get or or I should say help families make a decision that's within the, the wishes and desires of the patient who, who clearly can't speak for themselves. What do those conversations look like surrounding a healthcare power of attorney? What is that detail if you're able to have the conversation early?
1: Well, I think most of us, Think about it. And some of us do have discussions with maybe your spouse or the person you're closest to. Hey, if this ever happens to me, make sure X doesn't happen. But this is a way to put it down in writing where there's no gray area about what the individual wants. And where the importance of that comes in, I think, is twofold. First of all, for the individual, knowing that you you have your wishes in place and you know that that's going to be taken care of in the event that you can't speak for yourself anymore, gives you a sense of calm and a sense of a a margin of control in your end of life experience. And then second fold, I think it is a wonderful gift for people to give their loved ones. Because when you leave it up in the air, or it's just kind of been discussed, but nothing's in writing, families can have very differing opinions on what should happen to mom. Okay, and and emotions can get involved in that. Arguments can ensue from that, and everybody just wants the best. But when you put it in writing for yourself, then you give that gift to your family. No one has to feel guilty. No one has to fight about it or worry over it. It's done.
0: Yeah, I mean you—you you just listed out some of the some of the things that I think probably people don't think about. We like to think that if, if given the if we had to make the choice uh, that we that we could do it, and and I, I believe people can. But it really is a uh, you know, for some people they would describe it as a guilt reliever, or they would describe it as something that is not as difficult if they have talked about it and had those wishes and desires made known. And, you know, it it can be, Hard, you know. I, I guess I'm trying to get to how do you choose someone for that role, and sometimes it's very easy, right? You mentioned a spouse or a partner or someone that you know that that closest person in your life, but mm-hmm. other times it can be difficult to make that decision. What are some yeah. of the conversations like that we have with people on how they make that decision, who they put in place there for that healthcare power of attorney?
1: Well, I talk to my patients in regards of. Um, who do you feel can follow through with your wishes and not let disagreement about that sway them and, and they'll be okay with that? And, and again, the healthcare power of attorney just makes it so much better because you can say to other family members or other loved ones who may disagree with what's going on, you can say, I'm sorry, but we're honoring the patient's wishes. End of story. And that just takes the burden off of everyone. You have named one person to see it through, but it it's really takes the burden off of everybody.
0: Yeah. And, you know, that doesn't mean that, you know, somebody is more equipped to do it or that somebody mm-hmm. wouldn't, wouldn't do that. Right. It is a sort mm-hmm. of a comfort thing. And it is sort of, I, I would tell you that the many of the people that I work with, while they while they accept the task and and follow through they would say it's a little bit of a burden sometimes mm-hmm. right that that it's hard it doesn't make it easy right like the, you, you talked about emotions getting into it earlier right having a decision doesn't keep emotions from from coming right. in right it, it just helps right. show a path right it
1: does and it it I just, I just like that it is left basically in the hands of that individual. And you can always say those words to give comfort to those who maybe disagree or the one that's having to follow it. This is following the wishes of the patient. This, They put this in place because it's what they wanted to happen with their body at end of life. And that gives, you know, people as much comfort as you can have during that. You
0: know, time period one of the one of the things that i think is sometimes a barrier to a topic like this is that we don't really have a good understanding of what it actually means to when we're discussing even if we're talking about specifics of what we do want done or what we don't want done or at, at that time, and and not to be too vague, but it, it, sometimes we talk about intubation, or having compressions, resuscitation done, there are uh, feeding tube placements, breathing tubes, all of uh, these things that people talk about, and I don't think, you know, I know... It, it's, I'm still learning it. And we did an episode, again, like I mentioned earlier, with Dr. Warner on the very specifics of it. And even though that's probably hard for some people to listen to, I think it is beneficial because understanding what that actually looks like in the room, it's, it's not what you see on TV. It's not what you see in the movies. Understanding you know, what what that looks like for the patient can often help people make what they feel like is a more difficult decision
1: right and i think it's it's good for people to understand as well as um, when i'm working with an individual that's filling one out for themselves to get specific on what does this mean and you get very specific in within the document on what you want and what you do want you mentioned artificial nutrition artificial hydration it states very specifically in the document that at this point, your physician ha- is almost certain as much as, as they can be, that you will never get better, that you are going to die and it within a short period of time and no treatment, there's no treatment. There's nothing that's going to help you get better. So when you when you're at that place in life and you're looking at artificial nutrition, artificial hydration, you're talking about doing things that help someone linger in the state that they are in, which nine times out of 10 is non-responsive and at end of life, it, it will never help them get better. And hearing it like that, a lot of people will say, no, I don't want that. Um, and so then that, you know, that, that leaves it very cut and dry for your family on, on what your wishes were.
0: And so if if I'm talking about why this might be important to hospice, you know, our services are, you know, you'll hear the term directed at comfort measures, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we talk about quality of life, end-of-life care. And one of the the things that we often talk about at this time is the benefit versus burden, right? So yeah. every procedure has a benefit versus burden every healthcare yes. medical procedure and this is really what people are weighing when they're discussing that mm-hmm. that crystal just mm-hmm. really hit at and i know that that our families really i mean hospice is called to treat everybody the whole system right and so while we do medically treat our patients specifically with those comfort measures to help them have quality life at You know, with a terminal illness or end of life, that it is our role to help families process, cope, and grieve in a way that's going to help them process the loss. And Mm -hmm. actually, healthcare directives that are done well, well, well before actually do help that. And it is Mm -hmm. part of what's so important to the care we provide. Do you see a difference in the coping of some of the families between those that have had conversations and I'm not looking for a blanket statement, of course, that says that if you don't have these discussions, you'll have a harder time or it'll be so easy if you do. But do you see a difference in, in our families?
1: I absolutely do. Um, sometimes just everybody f- understands that this was the patient's wishes and they feel at peace with that. When there are disagreements, just – being able to say you and I right now are honoring your mother's wishes, whether you agree or not, we're honoring her wishes. And that does offer comfort to family members.
0: We we've done We've also done an episode talking about palliative care Mm -hmm. and how important that team is hospice is similar in terms of the team orientation of it. Right. And -hmm. whereas when, when you're going through medical treatments, you may have a, a a primary physician, a specialty physician, and you go and you get these treatments and whatever that might look like. Once you are, are are sort of moving along, having a palliative team is really, really helpful in saying, well, if we've not had these discussions yet, let's let's work on this and figure this out because we want your wishes to be made known, right? With all the information that's available. And then as we move to hospice, right? there we're able to really impact, you know, whether those discussions have happened or not. Right. We're there for the whole person. And I think that's, what's unique about palliative and and specifically hospice care is that, you know, we're the ones called, you know, both palliative and hospice. We're the ones called to have the difficult discussions with, with patients and families and our physicians and our nursing staff and our social workers and our uh, spiritual counselors, and bereavement counselors are willing to have those difficult discussions because that's where there's a lot of healing for people, right? When, Mm -hmm. when you can sit through those difficult discussions, Mm -hmm. I I know you have experience with that crystal. Can you share a little bit about the insight on on what that looks like for some of our families?
1: Absolutely. Um, I'm just thinking of, of one individual now that, that I'm working with and, and for this person, um, he he knows that, that his time here with us is short and he doesn't want to be in pain. He doesn't want to have fear or anxiety um, at, at time of death. And he's fine with, or not fine, but wants whatever medications we can offer to help him relax and that he's not in pain. That's very important to him. And so now that you know, he's waiting and, until this time, there is some peace offered in that, that you know you're not going to ex- have those horrible experiences, that you're going to be at peace and you're going to be well cared for and well managed. Um And, and for that, I, I, I think that's huge and especially in the work with end of life doula, that's one of the main things we address is making, Thinking about your time of death and and what you want that to look like, where you would like it to take place, what you want to do about medications. Do you want to be conscious as long as possible? Is that the main importance to you or are you concerned about pain management? So all of that are, are just very important conversations to have for everybody involved.
0: Crystal, thank you for sharing that. I think you just touched on one of the beautiful pieces of hospice care, which is, is that we don't treat each of our patients the same, Mm-mm. that we provide individualized care for them. And you're absolutely right. People do have different values, just like they have different values in life. They have different values at end of life. And that mm-hmm. can include being more alert, right? That mm-hmm. may come with some having a a struggle with a little bit more pain versus wanting to be as comfortable as possible and dealing with some of uh you know some other symptoms right whatever Mm -hmm. that might be and it's in it's Mm -hmm. diagnosis specific it's person centered and person specific and Mm -hmm. uh, that's a really beautiful piece of it at, at least in my experience and and while we like to think that everybody feels that they've received the highest quality care, that care is going to look different. And healthcare decisions absolutely plays a part in how that care looks and how we can help families. Right. I know that, you know, healthcare power of attorney is a big one that we work with. But Crystal, some of the other things, like making, you know, because I in, in hospice care, we help people with funeral arrangements. We help them with some of their insurance needs, placement needs, all of these other things that are rolled into what what you could consider to be healthcare decisions.
1: Mm-hmm. What are
0: some of the specifics of how hospice specifically helps with some of these decisions?
1: Well, just in talking to the individual and and bringing it up. With, with them. You know, death is the big taboo subject. We don't want to think about it, don't want to talk about it. But it is a cycle of life. And just like when a child is born, you prepare, you paint the nursery, you buy the crib, you get all the supplies. You know all about that. Um, death should be no different. It, it's not a medical event, it's a spiritual event. And those psychosocial things need to be taken into consideration with, with how you want that part of your life to look and, and, you know, advanced directives and, and just having, just beginning with the conversations is, is where that starts. And it can be very, it, it, it gives peace to the individual and comfort to the families that once you've had those discussions, instead of just leaving it up to chance and, and then it can be a very emotional moment um, when it happens and that's not the time to be thinking, do we want this, that, or another? Um, it's so much better if that's settled in advance.
0: Well, I think that's, that might be an excellent way to wrap up the discussion portion of this episode. I, I really liked what you said there um, and, and talking about it, you know, on one hand being the taboo subject that, that no one wants to discuss to, to this It really is something that everyone experiences in in the educations that I do. And and in conversations that we have on this podcast, I don't ever talk to somebody who's not experienced loss. Mm -hmm. And I think we really do ourselves a disservice. I'll say it in the medical community, but also in society when we ignore this topic and we choose and we choose to avoid it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and you know talking talking to you i i appreciate your perspective with the specific sensitivities you have as a as a certified end of life doula and i know that you've offered comfort and and healing to to, to many families and that's kind of the point of doing this episode i know that we're talking about some specifics and um i i did want to ask crystal a little bit about uh one more thing that i almost forgot about but i just wanted to appreciate that crystal that that this is um this is more than just telling you about how to make decisions or what decisions to make or when to have the mm-hmm. discussion it's mm-hmm. really about hitting at that peace and comfort of that spiritual experience that you just described
1: absolutely i'm um, not we have a term that I hear quite a bit around hospice and around end of life doula work. Um, and the term is normalizing death. And, and it, it is a, it it is normal, but we don't feel it's normal. Um, and it just, it takes, I just keep coming back to the word fear out of it. I can't stand the thoughts of someone being afraid. Um, As as they go through this transition, it just, it shouldn't be that way. It should never be that way. Um, And there's no need for it to be that way. And by stating your feelings about what you want your death to look like and expressing that to the people you love and then putting it in writing so no one has to feel like they took it on themselves. They're they're just a spokesperson. They're doing what you said to do. On the paper. And I just, I think it just, it gives peace to everybody, everybody concerned.
0: Thank you, Crystal. Each state has their own laws regarding who makes decisions in the event that there's not these discussions that have been made can you speak to North Carolina just really short sort of how that process works uh, if somebody is incapacitated and, and unable to speak for themselves who is that first line and, and maybe uh, a, a couple down from
1: that-hmm yeah first line will always be the spouse and if there is not a legal marriage then it would go down to children and if there are multiple children Children, they would need to come to a consensus. Um, therein lies where I say it gets problematic because Susie hasn't really, um, I guess, settled with the fact that she's losing mom and wants to hold on at any cost. And Joe is settled with it and knows that his mom wouldn't want to suffer any longer than necessary. And so there you've got a big family conflict at a time when you should be experiencing your grief together and supporting one another. Um, So back on subject, though, (laughs) it's spouse, children, then any living parents. And then down from that, it can be a close friend, a close relative. You know, some folks may have no one in their life but a distant cousin. And if no one's, you know, um, questioning the decisions, then that's okay. But the minute people start to disagree, then you need that piece of paper that says, no, this is what the patient wants and this is who is in charge to see it through.
0: Thank you for for sort of telling us that. And and when there is disagreement, I, I, one of the things that we do well, or I believe that we do well here at Hospice of Davidson County is validate that both are experiencing grief, whether you've accepted it or you might be not to a point where you're willing to make a decision that you feel like uh, is going to take that person away from you, right? Both of those are valid. And we really try to wrap around services around the entire family and validate those experiences and help each person process it in their own individual way. So thank you for speaking to that, Crystal. We do have some events coming up that hit you know, specifically at healthcare decisions that are in the community. And I just wanted to sort of bring those up here. So we have four events that are coming up spread around Davidson County. And uh, I'll just go ahead and start with the first date, which is April 17th at 10 a.m. at the Thomasville location of Davidson County Senior Services. On April 21st at 12 p.m. at the Lexington location of Davidson County Senior Services. And then April twenty seventh, ten a.m. at the Lexington Library location, and then April twenty eighth at eleven a.m. at the North Davidson Library location. Now I know I just sort of put those out for everybody, so I totally understand. I, these dates will be in the um, the episode description, and you can also visit uh, the uh, visit the website for each of those um, to find out about those events, but we'll be providing some education, talk, discussing uh, these different things. We'll talk about, we'll have notaries present to be available and to be helpful to you um, if you're wanting to have those documents discussed because there is sort of a process and and we won't go into that today, but there is sort of a process for how these are done um, sort of officially and unofficially. And uh, we just want to make sure that we provide the community with the resources they need to have these discussions when they are willing to. So we encourage everyone to do it, but we also understand that not everyone's ready to do that. But when you are, we do like love to provide those events to people so that they can feel a little bit more prepared. So please um, reach out if you have any questions about any of those events. And and I believe Crystal, Crystal, are you doing one of those events for us?
1: I am. I am going to be there. And just let me say on that, um, it doesn't matter if you're 21 and perfectly healthy or if you're 80 or if you've been diagnosed with a terminal disease, it's for everyone. And I understand that the decision for yourself at end of life when you're 21 may look totally different than when you're 50 or when you're 80. The document, um, it, it's always the, the last one that was signed. So you could do that now at 21 and then 50, you're married and you decide, oh, I want my spouse to do this. You can fill out another one. And that's the one that goes into effect. So never too early.
0: Yes. Thank you. Thank you for that. And we've had... Um each year, we've had a, an episode regarding this. The first one was uh, with David and Abedit. Uh He's an elder law attorney uh, in the Lexington area, and he talks about some of the very specifics of this. So I encourage you to go back to season one and listen to that. And last year, one of our medical social workers, Caitlin Brady, was on, kind of giving a more high-level view. And I really love that Crystal came on today to dis- to dive into some of the specifics, because I think we had... I hope that you found our conversation today really informative and maybe something that you can engage with. So Crystal, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your expertise with us.
1: You're welcome, Cole.
0: And again, all the information will be in the episode description. Please subscribe to the podcast. You can get on Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, we will continue to put these out every other Thursday. And we appreciate your support in our community.